Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Happy Women in Baseball Week from Peace, Love, and Baseball. I'm your host, K-Bird Tweets, and I am a woman in baseball. Today, we're going to highlight just a few of the many incredible women who are making an impact on the baseball world, from executives to coaches to the media, and make sure that you're following the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you will get notified when a new episode comes out each week on Tuesday, because we're going to have some exciting guests coming up that you just may have heard of and we'll be excited to learn more about. Just a little teaser for some upcoming episodes. That's all I'll say for now. But before we kick off our education session on these fine women in baseball today, I thought I'd share this kind of random experience that I had at Wrigley Field over the weekend. I don't know. It was kind of weird. It's not like the most prolific thing but it did really drive home why it's important to make space and recognition for things like Women in Baseball Week. So I was sitting next to a guy at one of the Cubs-Cardinals games that I went to, and he was kind of talking my ear off. In all honesty, like, it wasn't really bothering me, especially as we kept talking. Like, he was nice enough, whatever. We established that he had three kids, and they were around the same age as me and my siblings, and he was there with his wife and some friends. But the first kind of off-putting thing that happened was pretty early on, actually, he asked me, or rather, I should say he told me, well, you must know about the Cardinals, but I don't suppose you really follow baseball. To which I informed him that I, I do, in fact, follow all of baseball. And then, you know, we went on to have some more discussion about Cody Bellinger and others that are possibly on the trade block for the Cubs, since that's what he's into following right now. But as the game went on, like, I don't know if it was like the few beers that he had talking to some extent, but at one point he just says to me in like the eighth inning or something, do you know how annoying it is for me to have to sit next to a woman who knows about baseball? (laughs) And I quite simply said, uh, why? And he went on to tell me that he was just trying to be funny. Well, it, it wasn't funny, sir. And this really made me reflect on a couple of things. First was that I realized that I will often go out of my way to make a situation less awkward and like more comfortable for others, even when they are the one that made the situation uncomfortable, like for me, or said something that was, you know, just ignorant or uncalled for, or at at the very least, like not funny. Am I right? So I was glad that in that moment, I didn't revert to what can sometimes be my natural instinct to somehow like make this guy feel better about the fact that he said something that, first of all, wasn't even funny, but was also like pretty ignorant. Secondly, it made me realize that a lot of bad jokes these days are made around like cliches or things that we think we should be able to assume about people based on on things that really tell us absolutely nothing about them. Like in this situation, this guy somehow thinks that Something as simple as being a woman who knows about baseball should be laughable. Like, it's really right up there with the get back in the kitchen jokes, if you think about it. And 
if you haven't heard, those are most definitely canceled. So just something that I think we can all be a little bit more aware of. When I go to games with my husband, it happens every single time where, you know, we get talking to the people around us and they address any kind of baseball talk straight to him, regardless of age. If it's a dude, he's going to ask the other dude. And my dude is going to tell you to ask me because, you know, he watches plenty of baseball now because he loves me, but he is more of a football guy. And that's the sport that he played and has always followed more closely. Anyway, what I'm saying is we are evolving as a society and a lot of times and in a lot of ways for the better. And one of the most closed minded things that you can do is put other people in a box of what you expect them to be based on their gender, their socioeconomic status, or what what they look like, or even their other interests. Like one thing that you know about someone is one thing that you know about them. So I think we can be we can be better than that for each other. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. So now let's talk about some of these badass women in baseball, shall we? The first one that we're going to talk about and learn about today is Kim Ang, who you might have heard of because she is the first woman general manager, and she is currently the highest sitting executive in Major League Baseball, the only woman who has ever held this title so far. A lot of this information is from an article that was in Time Magazine for March of 2021, shortly after Kim Ang was appointed as the general manager for the Miami Marlins. And it is by Sean Gregory. Kim Ang, who is now 44, grew up playing stickball in Queens, New York. And per an interview from this Time Magazine article, they used a manhole that would serve as home plate. A parked car was first base. Another manhole was second base. And another parked car to the left was was third base. And even then, she was always the only girl playing stickball in the neighborhood. She is quoted saying that she like definitely grew up as a tomboy and she was always kind of the odd one out in that scenario of playing sports with her friends. She grew up as a Yankees fan, uh, as a New Yorker, and she had their 1978 World Series poster above her bed. When her family moved to Long Island is when she took up organized softball. She ended up being a star player in her high school uh, in New Jersey, and she continued to play softball even at the collegiate level at the University of Chicago. So there she played multiple infield positions, and while she put up some impressive offensive numbers at times, more than anything, she immediately emerged as like the unquestioned team leader. And we know there's so much value in that on every team. In her senior year at the University of Chicago, Ang served as the president of the school's Women's Athletic Association, which was a group that represented the interests of female athletes. And she actually wrote her public policy thesis on Title IX, which is the landmark law mandating equal opportunities for female student athletes. At this point in her college years, she decided to pursue a career in sports. And she was thinking maybe more along the lines of like marketing or sports information. When she graduated in 1990, she interviewed for a baseball operations internship with the Chicago White Sox, and Dan Evans, who was at that time the assistant GM of the White Sox, was really impressed with her. And it seems from like a lot of the things that I've read of people speaking about her is obviously she's super smart and she's worked her way up and has, you know, a level of the 
credentials and education that speaks for itself, but it's really just the way that she shows up and like her interpersonal relationships and the way that she handles herself is really impressive too. So this first gig in Major League Baseball was an unpaid internship. And I think this is something that's really worth noting because you're going to hear as a through line throughout the stories that we talk about today that getting opportunities to work in the sports industry, there's a lot of unpaid work that you have to do to get anywhere near earning the paid opportunities. So even by the nature of, of that being part of the industry, it limits the demographic of people who can make that sacrifice and really even get their foot in the door to begin with. At one point, Eng had three jobs. She would finish up work with the White Sox. Then she would go to her assistant coaching gig at the University of Chicago softball team, her alma mater. And then she also held a research assistant's position at the University of Chicago as well. During this time, having trouble paying rent, so she sleeps on the dorm room floor of her younger sister, who was still a student at the University of Chicago. Her efforts did start to pay off with more opportunities in the White Sox ranks. She would hold the radar gun. She would do data entry, alphabetized draft cards, carrying the legal pads around, like helping with office work, engaging Evans with questions, taking notes on anything and everything. And there are interviews with multiple of her coworkers, but they all share similarities in saying that she was just willing to do anything and everything to help out. And she made it a point to learn everybody's job to just contribute in any way that she could. I love this story and this one liner from this Time Magazine article. So I wanted to share it specifically. But one time a male staffer asked Ang to fetch a coffee And her response was, no thanks, I don't need a cup right now. (laughs) I knew she was my kind of gal when I heard that. At times, and from certain employees in her line of work, there was certainly some judgment and the sense of like, what is this girl doing here? It's the elephant in the room. But she had the wherewithal to not let it deter her from knowing that she belonged and that she had every bit as much of something to bring to the table as anybody else. Kim Ang soon took the lead in arbitration for the White Sox, which we have talked about on this show before. It is Major League Baseball's practice of the team making a case before a panel of arbitrators uh, for one of the players, uh, essentially that they should not get as big of a raise as he and his agent think that they should. She talks about in this article a case when she presented in front of Scott Boris, who we have also talked about on this podcast, as he is like one of the most powerful and well-known agents in baseball and one of his White Sox players at the time. She says in the article that she like started out really nervously and that gave, you know, the player and the agent the opening to really put her in her place right off the bat. But when she was presented with that challenge, she she rises to it. That just gets her going. So she's quoted saying, that just got me going. Your competitive nature takes over. And it's like, okay, if that's what's going on here, then I'm going to get in there too. Love it. The White Sox did win this case with Scott Boris and his client. And yeah, that just speaks to, again, like her persona, her ability to show up and really just focus on herself and what she can do in the job that that she's looking to get done. So in 1996, Kim Ang left the White Sox and she joined the American League office as a director of waivers and records. And I was like, ooh, that sounds kind of boring. Like, 
doesn't sound as cool as being an assistant GM. But so it sounds like, you know, it's more of a clerical role. But I guess this position actually helped her connect with executives throughout the American League because they relied on her to avoid making technical mistakes in trades and transactions. So she was actually like pretty important and got some good attention and connections in this position. None other than Brian Cashman, who was the assistant GM with the Yankees at the time. He was impressed with her and her work and the interactions that they had. So when he was elevated to Yankees GM in 1998, he offered Aang the chance to replace him as the assistant GM. So she would now be working for the infamously very demanding Yankees owner, George Steinbrenner. The Yankees end up winning three straight World Series, right? In 1998, 1999, and 2000. So Cashman is quoted saying that she was one of the knights at the round table during one of the most historic times in Yankees history. I had no idea that, that she was a part of that time in Yankees history. So then in 2002, Dan Evans, who gave Kim her first job with the White Sox, he is now the GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He hires Kim as the assistant GM for the Dodgers. And Kim Ang says that this is when she really started to get the idea and believe that the top job of GM could really be in her future. She was always aware that like, it would be a challenge. Like, obviously, she knew that there were not many other women in these executive roles, and there had been none in the top executive role. But in 2003, she came like face-to-face with how close-minded many in the industry could be. And, you know, this was 20 years ago, which in some ways seems like a long time, but, like, not long enough when it comes to this kind of stuff. Anyway, the article tells the story of a night at the hotel bar during one of the general manager's meetings in Arizona, and former Major League pitcher Bill Singer was then working as a scout for the New York Mets, and he he literally, like, asked why she was there and went as far as to mock her Chinese heritage with a fake accent. Fortunately, he was soon fired. Thanks, Mets. So Aang is killing it as an assistant GM. She is one of the first to adopt and apply baseball analytics. She has decades of experience in the newest technologies and countless like objective results of her work that has always been ahead of the times. So not only does she bring data skills, she also has the understanding and the capacity for the human side of evaluating the player's potential and, again, that ability to build and maintain relationships that will always be equally important throughout the game. She tells a fun story uh, in this Time article where one of the flight attendants, <laughs> when they were on a private charter flight going on a road trip or whatever, the flight attendant asked her, like, kind of just jokingly, so, like, what did you do to, to get on this flight? Because she was clearly the only woman, and she's with all these, you know, like, famous baseball players and, and the top guys – for the Dodgers. And she looks at the flight attendant and she says, like, you really want to know? I'll tell you. All these guys, they work for me. Now, clearly I am not an MLB GM, but I have held the title of general manager at a business. And it happened more times than I can count on my hands that someone called And even if they knew my name was Kelsey, because like maybe they had been given my name if they called before or they found it online or whatever. 
and they would ask for they would ask for him. Is he available? They assumed that I was a man because I was the general manager of the business. And that was like in the last three to five years that that would happen regularly. Obviously, Kelsey is a non-gendered name and like there's there's plenty of names like that. But I, I'd say it's, it's more commonly a woman's name. Let's get back to Kim. She left the Dodgers in 2011 to join the commissioner's office. And here she oversaw international baseball development and scouting activities. And she personally made a great impact on the fairness in signings for players and protecting them through their development in the Dominican Republic and beyond. But that was a really big part of the initiatives and things that she was, had set out to do in her work in the commissioner's office, which we still hear all kinds of crazy things about. And that's super important work and really cool. Like I had no idea that, that she was a part of that. Kim says that the role of GM was always her goal. And that at times throughout these years, like she had been offered interviews for GM roles, but she never felt like they were actually even considering her. Like it, they were likely just checking a box to say like, well, we, we interviewed a woman but somehow she stuck to the goal and she's quoted as saying like, if not for herself, then for women following in her path. Uh, she says, it's just had to be somebody who kept the notion of a woman running a club alive. It's pretty crushing when you get turned down. To put myself through that was not always fun, but I thought it was necessary. And this is just so incredible to me to have such confidence in believe belief in what you know that you are capable of, that you can stay the course and set an amazing example for so many who need to see that representation. Because like, how important is it for all of us to see all different types of people in roles of leadership? That just cannot be understated. And I, I hope that those younger than me only continue to see more and more of it. And we can think less and less about it because there is just better representation. And Kim Ang is a huge piece of this for, for baseball. She ended up losing out on jobs with the San Diego Padres in 2014 and the San Francisco Giants and the New York Mets in 2018. So all times where she was interviewed, considered, didn't get it. And then in the fall of 2021, she hears from former Yankees legend Derek Jeter so Jeter was, at that time, the CEO and the co-owner of the Marlins. He had known her from their Yankees days. He actually got to present her with an award at an event for women in sports uh, back in 2000. So she went through the interview process, and before she could even finish her closing pitch on their last Zoom call, he stopped her. Jeter said, hey, you know what? You can stop right there. The job is yours. So at this point, obviously, he knew she was more than qualified and ready to give her that opportunity. I actually found an interesting statistic. Richard Lapchik, who's Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport at the University of Central Florida, he publishes an annual report that grades the hiring practice of sports leagues. And Major League Baseball most recently got a C for gender hiring. That's from November of 2020. So not sure if there's been an updated one since then, but this is the, the report that was published before her hiring. It would be interesting to see because I bet it has changed since she was hired. But anyway, that just shows that 
the day that her position was announced, it was huge for, for Major League Baseball and really for the sports industry as a whole. They actually note here that Kim Ang's new position is the most noteworthy day for baseball since Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. And when you think about it that way, man, how amazing. And it is something that people are going to be talking about forever. Even it's weird to me because I feel like maybe it's talked about here and there, but it's kind of died out now that she's been in that position for a while. But it's absolutely something that, especially during a week like this, Women in Baseball Week, that it's worth paying some extra attention to. So we're going to talk about a coach now, and there's many women coaches working in baseball right now and that have made their mark. So this is just one that I picked that I thought had a cool story, and I'm excited to see what she does next. But her name is Bianca Smith, and she worked for the Red Sox. She was the first African-American woman to coach in professional baseball. According to a 2021 New York Times article by Juliet McCurr, Bianca Smith's father said that Bianca took to the game quickly and she would watch entire nine inning games even as a toddler because she had an unusually long attention span. And she always enjoyed watching with her mother, who was a lifelong fan. So she grew up watching games on her own during the day and she would stay up late to watch classic baseball movies, loved The Sandlot, Angels in the Outfield, Rookie of the Year, oh, all the good ones we grew up with. She didn't actually start playing in any capacity until she was about 12 years old. And even then, she was always more like into the mental side of the game. The article says that she was small but nimble and base running was her specialty as a player. Bianca used her allowance as a 12-year-old to buy her first baseball jersey, which was a number two Derek Jeter jersey for her mom's favorite player. So even as a kid, Bianca had the mind of an analyst. She would study how plays would unfold. She was always trying to predict the manager's next move when watching a game. I still love to do that. But she went to Dartmouth for college, and her baseball obsession continued. And her family shared, like, they could tell from their family cell phone bill that there would be, like, a huge spike in their cellular data. And they'd be like, hey, Bianca, what's going on? And she'd be like, oh, sorry, like, the Yankees were doing well. I just had to watch the games. So they knew when baseball season had started by their family cell phone bill. Bianca's mother died from cancer at only 44 years old. And this was a moment that made Bianca more determined than ever to make her dream and her mother's dream for her become a reality. So she goes on to attend grad school at Case Western University in Ohio for dual degrees in business and law with the goal of becoming a general manager in Major League Baseball. The New York Times reports that 15 minutes into Smith's conversation with the Case Western baseball coach, his name is Matt Englander, he named her the team's first baseball operations manager. He's quoted in this article, Matt Englander, as saying, she deserved a chance because she was so smart and passionate and she probably loves the sport more than I do. I don't subscribe to the MLB network and watch old MLB games. I don't stay up until 3 a.m. watching the Padres play the Marlins or watch the Indians spring training games. But Bianca, she does. 
So now she's in with Case Western's baseball team. She doesn't miss a practice or a game. She starts pitching uh, batting practice, throwing batting practice. She'll schedule team travel, helped coach circuit training. She would watch tape of hitters and send the head coaches her critiques. So her next step was an internship with the Reds in 2019. And this was really a turning point for her because she decided that coaching and not front office work was her real calling. And a lot of the women in baseball, or just people in baseball too, that I have learned about, it's really interesting to see like what their background is in and then how they ended up finding like their niche within the baseball world. Because you would think that something like being an executive and being a coach would be really separate. But like Kim Ang, who's now the general manager of the Miami Marlins, has coaching experience. And Bianca has a business and a law degree and like worked in baseball operations in college and now becomes an intern for a coaching position. So she finds that this is what she really wants to do and she approaches Donnie Ecker, who is the assistant hitting coach for the Reds, and she told him that she was really interested in coaching and offered to help on the field if they would allow it. So the Reds manager, David Bell, encouraged her to bring her glove to practice I love this too, because it's like, it just, if you're thinking something, if you want an opportunity, like it never hurts to ask, just put it out there. So by the end of the internship, Bianca is wearing a Reds jersey that says Bianca on the back. She helps at practices by catching throws and warming up the coaches and the players. And on game days, she was in the clubhouse analyzing hitters swings. Amazing. So for a stretch after graduate school, Here we go. Here's like the real turmoil that comes up of like, how do I get paid to work in baseball? She's applying for full-time positions. She held eight jobs at once so she could pay her rent. She sorted packages at UPS. She packed online orders at Target. She worked the cash register at the Dollar Tree. She drove for Uber Eats. She was a tour guide and a youth academy baseball coach for the Texas Rangers. She was also a ticket taker for FC Dallas. And got to get that extra baseball experience in there. So she's also volunteering as an assistant coach at the University of Dallas. Yeah, universities have volunteer assistant coaches. Sometimes this article says that she would just have 30 minutes to get from like one job to the next. Makes sense to me if you have eight jobs. I don't even know how you fit that in. It's not even eight days in a week. But she she lived on Lunchables and Pop-Tarts between her eight jobs glamorous life. So before she got the Red Sox job, which is what she's really known for in in Major League Baseball, she had told journalist Juliette McCurr that she reached out to more than 100 Division I college coaches, and she only got responses from 26 of them. Only one offered her a position, and it did not pay her enough to justify and give her the ability to make the move to take the job. Bianca applied to 30 to 40 college baseball operations positions, getting only three interviews and no offers. So she circled back on those jobs, and she noted that only one of them, of like the 30 to 40 jobs that she applied for, only one went to a woman, and about 95% of them went to white men. No shocker. So she's quoted saying, I am perfectly aware that, at least on the college level, I am more qualified than the majority of the coaches getting hired. 
as a black person, I don't feel like I face the discrimination in sports that I do as a woman. Wow. So even when she walks out of the dugout wearing a team uniform these days, she gets questions like, which player are you dating? You know, which one is your son? Or are you coaching like the girls baseball affiliate? There is actually a really good podcast episode that I should link in the show notes here. It's an interview on the Black Baseball Mixtape podcast with Mark Cheatham. And Bianca shares that all players at the professional level have been very welcoming to her. She says that the players do not care like who you are as long as you want to help them and you can help them, you're in. She also talks about her coaching style and she says that she empowers players to always ask questions. Ask your questions if they don't fully understand the drills or the direction that she's giving. She says if she can't explain it and make them see the value in it, then they shouldn't be doing it. Love that. She also encourages players to create their own drills. And as long as they can tell her why it works for them, she's totally in line with it. I think that's really big, especially like in the mental side of thing. And you can have all the knowledge out of a textbook, but you learn a lot just from having that kind of collaborative coaching style. So Bianca also speaks of not wanting to be remembered for being the first black woman coach in professional baseball, but instead for her contribution to the game and her team, the same as any other coach. And if you read or listen to interviews with a lot of these women working in baseball, they all say that. And I feel it. And it's very, it's very admirable. Like they're not looking for any kind of exception to be made. They just want to be the same for what they have to bring to the table. So Bianca Smith was originally hired by Boston in January of 2021. This made her the first black woman to coach in professional baseball history. And she first served in a part-time capacity before she was promoted to her full-time role with the rookie level Florida Complex League. The person at the Red Sox who actually identified Smith's potential was Molly Harris, who was the team's senior talent acquisition specialist. And she was specifically charged with finding talent, talented, diverse candidates. She discovered that Smith's resume was everything that the Red Sox had wanted. She has an Ivy League education, two graduate degrees, one in sports business, the other in sports law. Okay, what have I done with my life? <laughs> she had internships with the Cincinnati Reds and the Texas Rangers and one with Major League Baseball, during which she helped with the draft. She had college coaching experience. She has certifications on multiple software programs that analyze pitching and hitting, so keeping up with all the latest technology. And Alex Spear of the Boston Globe reports that Smith's contract expired at the end of the 2022 season. The Red Sox actually offered her a multi-year deal to continue coaching in the organization, but she turned that down to pursue other opportunities. And now she is currently coaching uh, with a college. So she's quoted here in this Boston Globe article as saying, the offer was still a coaching position. It just wasn't where I wanted to be. I decided that it was a better fit for me to try to find something else. I absolutely loved my time there. And I even told them I would love to come back if the position was a good fit. So very excited to see what's next for Bianca Smith. I think she'll be making an impact in professional baseball for many years to come because she's still very young. Oh, and one more fun fact about uh, Bianca's mom who introduced her to her love of the game. She was a lifelong Yankees fan. And she hated the Red Sox so much that one time Bianca had won tickets to a Red Sox game while she was in college at Dartmouth. 
And it was awarded to like the students who attended the most varsity sporting events. And she got so mad at her daughter for even considering going to a Red Sox game, especially if the Yankees weren't playing there. So imagine uh, that was a bit of turmoil that Bianca felt when, when, of course, her first professional coaching offer came from none other than the Boston Red Sox. But obviously, I'm sure her mom would be super, super proud of her. And that's just a little fun twist on baseball fandom. So we're going to keep sticking with the coaches here because if you're a Cardinals fan and you're listening, you might know about Christina Whitlock. She is the first uniformed coach for the St. Louis Cardinals organization, and she currently works at High A with the Peoria Chiefs. And I am from the Peoria area, so I think that's extra cool. We're going to start out with some uh, info from Whitlock's interview with David Aminian of the Peoria Journal Star, which is a publication I have also been featured in many a time. <laughs> Christina is quoted saying, I was a Navy brat born in San Diego. She actually went on, she was in seven different elementary schools as her military family moved around. She says, I grew up listening to the Beach Boys concerts after Padres games, some Dodgers too. Later, I was a Braves fan in college. I loved Javi Lopez because he was the catcher. I had his poster in my dorm room. She played baseball in Little League, and she continued with baseball through age 14, and then she switched to softball because she wanted to get a scholarship and go to college, and that is obviously more accessible for women. So as a softball player at the University of South Carolina, Whitlock was a two-time All-American catcher, and she helped lead them to the Women's College World Series in 1997. She also spent a few years as a member of the U.S. national team. Sportskedia.com reports on Whitlock's background, writing that Christina Whitlock graduated from Converse College with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in education in 2000. She started as an assistant coach at the University of South Carolina Upstate, and for the 2000 season, she worked with the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga as an assistant coach. Whitlock coached at the high school level for several years after leaving Chattanooga before returning to college as an assistant coach at Mercer University in 2007. With all of these jobs in athletics, whether it's like professional or collegiate, which I guess is, I mean, you're still a professional, but you're working in college sports. And even some sometimes at the high school level, like it's all contract work. So they end up moving around a lot, which is also just like such a, a big, I mean, I think about that in terms of, that's one of the things that's like not appealing for me as a career uh, exclusively as a performer. And that's very much, you know, clearly a part of this lifestyle as well. Anyway, after leaving Mercer, Whitlock coached the Lemoyne College Dolphins from 2009 to 2012 and the Lander University Bearcats from 2013 to 15. In 2016, she returned to her alma mater as a volunteer assistant coach for South Carolina. Whitlock took a break from collegiate coaching for a few years before returning in the spring of 2019 to coach the Furman University Paladines. She worked as a coach for various organiza organizations in addition to high school and college. She volunteered as a pitching coach for the British Softball Federation from 2017 to 2020. 
And she was a softball skills instructor for Apex Athletic Performance from 2017 to 2020. She was, and I believe is, the head baseball coach for Stars and Stripes Sports. And Whitlock was appointed as a fourth coach in the minor league system by the St. Louis Cardinals in 2020. So this role was a combination of like coaching and scouting because she has also finished um, scouting school, like major league uh, baseball scouting school. And she, she was uh, put in this role that was designed to provide participants with an introduction to working in professional baseball. We all know what happened in 2020. The minor league season was canceled due to the coronavirus epidemic. And before she was even given her assignment for the season, it was, you know, basically ripped out from underneath her. So that, you know, we all have our bummer stories of what the pandemic took from us. I mean, I was supposed to have a 200-person wedding, and I still haven't had it. But, man, can you imagine, like, working your way up all the sacrifices that you've made, you finally get to this level that you've been dreaming to work at and it's just gone because of things that are completely out of your control. So throughout the pandemic, she was looking for you know other roles with the ultimate aim of, of becoming a pitching instructor, a manager, or working in the front office for player development. In 2021, she undertook more professional scouting to widen her experience and strengthen her technical skills as well. Daniel Guerrero of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reports that Christina was a mentee of the late Cardinals scout Charles Peterson, who she felt was particularly influential in her coaching journey. Peterson actually died in 2020 after being hospitalized with COVID-19, and he was the scout that was involved with the signing of 2020 first-round pick Jordan Walker. Christina is quoted saying, I had a sense of achieving something for him. And so I was really hoping I made him proud. With the minor league baseball season canceled and the future uncertain, the one thing that she says she knew wouldn't change was that that the opportunity would come again. So she just kept pushing through it. And nearly three years later, she gets a call from old farm director Gary LaRoque who let her know that she was going to be the fourth coach for Class High A Peoria in 2023. So in her role for 2023, Christina Whitlock will work alongside recently hired hitting coach Casey Chenoweth. And Whitlock believes that her experience as a tech fellow at the Cardinals Complex in 2022 is going to be particularly beneficial in breaking down the data and the analytics that they collect. The Peoria coaching staff at this point uh, that she did this interview, they had regularly met through Zoom, like leading up to spring training. And although there was like history that came along with her hire, Whitlock said that the, the first meeting did not come with any special treatment, even though she is, you know, the only on the field woman coach. And as we referred to earlier, she says that her, along with other women in baseball, prefer it that way. She is quoted actually as saying, we didn't come into the game for people to make accommodations for us. We're coming in to make an impact, just as any other coach would be coming in, to make an impact, to be part of a team. So I think that's where we hope to move in a direction where this is the norm. Whitlock considers the best part of her job so far has been the opportunity to meet and learn from others who have spent their lives working in the game. 
On her coaching philosophy, Christina is quoted in the Purell Journal Star as saying, I like helping athletes to prepare on game day. That piece of it, you are also teaching young people important things on the field and for life. And man, I could read and learn about these coaches forever because they are coaches in in such a larger form of the word than just like the technical aspects of the sport. And that's something that, you know, obviously I don't personally know these women, but those leadership skills are certainly something that has gotten them to these positions as much as any kind of technical skills that they could have acquired along the way. And speaking of which, someone that you might notice that a little bit more with because she is an on-air talent is the one that we're going to wrap up with today. And that is Kelly Sacco, who is a host, producer, reporter, and analyst for Fox Sports Florida. Most of this information is from Kelly's LinkedIn page, as well as an article by Kaplan News uh, from November of 2022. So per that article by Kaplan News, Kelly grew up in Palmetto Bay and attended Miami Palmetto Senior High. So she is from Miami and now still lives and works in Miami, which is pretty cool. And then she went to Syracuse. When she was growing up, she played softball, volleyball, taekwondo, swimming. She did synchronized swimming, just super athletic, active kid. And she finally decided to focus on softball. So in college, she was a pitcher and she played twice in the Big East Conference Championships. She attended Syracuse University on a full athletic scholarship, and there she received a degree in broadcast journalism from the Newhouse School in addition to a minor in Spanish. So prior to joining the Miami Marlins coverage, which is where you'll see her now, Kelly was the Marlins in-game host and the University of Miami Hurricanes. She did football, basketball, and baseball in-game hosting for them. 2023 is her third season now covering the Miami Marlins baseball on Fox Sports Florida. And in addition to the work that she does as a sideline reporter, Kelly also produced and hosts episodes of Marlins Clubhouse, Marlins All Access, and Marlins Prospects Spotlight, as well as Baseball 101. She does it all. She also works as an analyst for some University of Miami baseball games on ESPN platforms. Here is the really wildly impressive thing that I want to call out about Kelly. First of all, she's just like very natural at her job. And it's funny because I think in the same article I was reading about her that as a kid, like she was terrified of public speaking and she never would have thought that, you know, broadcasting sports would be anything that would be appealing to her. But because of her Venezuelan upbringing and her Spanish studies in college, she hosts flawlessly in both English and Spanish. If you haven't seen her do this, you have to tune in to Valley Sports Florida for a Marlins game because it simply makes just, uh, first of all, for a much more inclusive show, like on both the player and the viewer side. So it's cool that she can do it, period. But like, she's also really exceptionally good at it. Her ability to translate in real time, like she does not miss a beat for either the player or the viewers. And it's just super impressive. I speaking multiple languages is very impressive to me in general, because that part of my brain is just not like the best part of my brain, I guess. But wow, the the application of it is crazy awesome. 
So now Kelly works with former Major League Baseball player J.P. Arancibia, and he is quoted talking about how she is always so professional and well-prepared. He says she asks a lot of good questions to the players to the point where she is giving all her effort. Her biggest job is to ask the players and coaches game questions, and she's very good at it. I think that's such a good point because it's an undervalued skill. And when you watch someone who is as good and just as natural at it as Kelly is, it's super easy to take for granted like how exceptional she is at doing it. This is just a little fun fact from uh, Scott Scoop News in 2022. They found that despite 37.6% of the professional athletes in the United States being women, only 22.2% of sports journalists in the United States identify as female. So people like Kelly are paving the way and more than proving the value of voices like hers in the media for Major League Baseball and really in all of the sports world. So I want to wrap up today by giving a huge shout out to the other women in baseball podcasts that you have heard on this show. I know there's many more than just the ones that I featured on this show, but I do want to link our former guests and give them a special shout out. Going to link them in the show notes for you to check out if you have yet to as well. So first is the Babes Babes podcast, which is dedicated to baseball as a whole and specifically to highlighting women in the sport. I am a co-host on that show with Madison and Jana, and we have episodes that come out a couple times a month, and we have a very special episode coming your way later this week that is going to be featured, featuring some very special guests specifically for Women in Baseball Week, and we're going to have a Women in Baseball Week panel. So make sure you are following Babes Babes and you don't miss out on that. Other women in baseball podcasts that are friends in the show include the Brewers Babes. We've got Aaron and Lisa who are putting out weekly content around Brewers baseball as well as league-wide coverage. They have a very fun format to their show. And even if you're not a Brewers fan, like I find it really enjoyable to listen to. So check it out. And then we've got Susie from Bourbon and Baseball, who was a recent guest. She's an Astros fan, but again, she also covers baseball league-wide with a very fun and fresh take. We've got Emily Nyman, who is your Breaking Balls host. She's a former collegiate softball player with an amazing voice and insight to offer to all those who love the game. Plus, she's freaking hilarious. So you got to check out Breaking Balls if you haven't yet. And of course, our gals over at Crying in Baseball. There is Crying in Baseball. They are Cardinals fans, but again, great fans of the game more than anything who are providing all kinds of fun takes and, and a different angle to fall even more in love with America's favorite pastime. I'm so inspired by these gals and of course, all the women working in baseball from operations to coaching to media to scouting, to team doctors, and the physical therapists. Like, we are doing it all, and it is about damn time. So once again, make sure you're following me on Twitter at KbirdTweets and on Instagram at peace.love.baseball for all the latest updates. A very happy Women in Baseball week to you. Please make it a time for you to give a special shout-out to the women who provide great voices and work within the world that, that you consume from your fandom. And 
make sure that you are following along because we have a, a very fun and exciting guest coming up that you might just be familiar with. Woohoo! So make sure you're following and you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen from, and you won't miss out on that and so much more coming at you from peace, love, and baseball. I will see you next week on Trade Deadline Day. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you.